How do you decide what to work on? How do you prioritize? As engineers, what do we think we want? What do we need? What are our personal pain points? One of the best things about this line of work, we get to make things that we feel fix a problem in the world. Dog feeding is a really, really great way to just make your product shine. Internally, when we use our own product, we know exactly how everything works. We're the ones who built it. So we don't get stuck in our own stuff. It's not enough to just use your own product and think that because you're getting a value out of it, your customers must also be getting value out of it. Because we know how our product works so well, we'll do other things in a way that makes them work well in our product. We need to feel the pain that our customers feel. We can't just go in and make our product much better for only ourselves. Hi, I'm Steve. And I'm David, and you're listening to Don't Make Me Code, the bi-weekly series where we discuss developer experience and some of the unique challenges we face building developer-facing products. Don't Make Me Code is brought to you by Heavybit, a nine-month program for developer-facing startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. And if you're interested in being a guest on this show or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at dmmc at heavybit.com or on Twitter at Don't Make Me Code. We're calling this episode of Don't Make Me Code Dog Fooding, and we've got our guest Liz Bennett here with us, a senior engineer at Logly. Hi. So we always start with a little background. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Logly and how you got there? Yeah, sure. So I work on the infrastructure team at Logly. I've been there for about two years, and uh, yeah, I work on almost every part of the data ingestion side of things. Um, so parsing, indexing, searching, caching, retrieving data. For those of you who don't know Logly, we are a SaaS-based logging service, so you send us all of your log files and your log data, and you can search through it or create monitors or do dashboards and reports. Yeah, and before the show we were talking about topics, and this one has been elusive for us. We've done a bunch of episodes, and, and it feels like we should have talked about it already, but like DevTools, we're developers building software for other developers, and it's like one of the best things about this line of work. We get to make things that we feel fix a problem in the world. And so how do you do that at Logly? Or like, how does that impact your everyday at Logly? Yeah, we have this large infrastructure stack, a lot of services, a lot of machines running, and we have the same problem that a lot of other software companies have, which is what do you do about all your log files that are distributed across like you know, n number machines? SSHing, grepping is super inefficient. So basically, we have built this tool that makes running the tool easier for us and for hopefully a lot of other people to run their own tools. Yeah. So it was funny before the show when we were talking about all the topics under dog fooding, like we came up with this the one big great thing, which is we get to solve a problem for ourselves. And then we couldn't think of anything else good to say about dog fooding. (laughs) So there are all these what ifs, like we try to build things for ourselves. But our customers might not be the same as us. And so, how mm-hmm. do you check your assumptions? That's a really interesting question because you can use your own product for your own use cases, but that could limit you and it could limit the product that you build for your customers. Um, It'd be interesting to know kind of, you know, at Logly, you're using your own product to like monitor your own logs, like you said. How do you prioritize, like, you know, you have. Feature requests, I assume, that come from your customers, and you probably even have feature requests that come from like internal teams mm-hmm. now. So, like, how do you how do you decide what to work on? Like, how do you prioritize that feedback? Yeah, sure. 
we have two things that we think about, and we they, we have cute names for them. There's inside out, and then there's outside in. And the inside out priorities are things that our product managers help us decide by getting in touch with customers and figuring out what the customer's pain points are. And then there's inside out, which is things that we decide as engineers, what do we think we want, what do we need, what are our personal pain points. And some of those could be directly having to do with the product or, or just you know infrastructure related, like, oh, we need to upgrade our version of Java or whatever. I think we try to keep it a healthy mix of half and half. And as backend developers, a lot of the work that we do is determined by what we think the infrastructure needs. Do you involve customers in any of those internal decisions that you know we want to build X? Is that just entirely inside, or do you actually do you then go out and find customers too? Yeah, we go on site. We talk to customers. We record videos of them using mm-hmm. our product and trying to understand what areas are they getting stuck on. What things do they not understand how how they work? Because internally, when we use our own product, we know exactly how everything works. We're the ones who built it, so. We don't get stuck in our own stuff. Like we, we just know how it works. That's an interesting thing about dog fooding is a customer might not realize how something works. They might get really confused about some feature that makes perfect sense to you because y- you built it and there was some limitation in the infrastructures that caused you to build it in such a way so uh, you understand how to use it. To them, it might just come across as being really confusing. So that's an interesting side effect of dog fooding, I think. And so it's really important to balance. If you're using your own product, you you must also get feedback from customers. It's not enough to just use your own product and think that because you're getting a value out of it, your customers must also be getting value out of it. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic to expand more because there are so many ways that our own companies can be different from our customers' companies or the way we work can be different from the way our customers work and all those assumptions Play into our decision making. Like we, Opsi, are a very small company, like about half a dozen people, and so we make a lot of decisions with that in mind. But we want bigger customers using us, and so like we have to go and find them and ask them. Yeah, definitely. If you focus too much on what you use and how you use your product, you might be limiting the scope of your product. So a big enterprise customer might have a certain requirement. And you might not even understand that requirement or, or ever think of it yourself. You would just never need it for your own product. I thought it was interesting what you said earlier too about even if you internally disagree with your customers, that it could be a good idea. Yeah, because your customers are not you. They have slightly different use cases. If you're building a product for DevOps to monitor their stuff and you're using your own product to monitor your, your own stuff, so you're a DevOps company building... Like your DevOps company, you're using your own tool as a DevOps company. Another company might be a consumer-oriented company. They're using your product to monitor their consumer-oriented product. They might have slightly different use cases or different things that they need. So yeah, I think uh, if they come to you and they they need a feature, they you know just absolutely need you to enhance your product in some way or another. Um, and even if you think it's it's totally you don't understand their product requests. Like, definitely spend the time to see why they want it. Try to understand if other customers want it, and if that one customer wants it, the chances are other customers are also going to want it. You might just not understand their needs. 
can you think of a specific time that that happened to you at Logly, like where your team internally thought something was going to be a really bad idea and then it ended up being awesome? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we had this customer come to us and they had some really bizarre sounding feature. It was just like, how are we even going to incorporate this into our product? Like, yeah, this is really weird, but okay, like, you guys are a really big customer and we want you to be happy, so we'll just figure out a way. And we added it to the product and we deployed it. And within a month or two, we noticed a lot of other customers had started using the same obscure feature. And, uh, <laughs> When we're dog fooding, we're using our own product. We would have never, never needed that feature. Like we would have never even thought to use it, and it ended up, you know, really improving the value that our customers were getting. What was it? It was basically like if a customer sends a log event, we parse it. So if it's like a JSON event, we'll parse out the JSON and build a map that's you know structured data so that you can search on specific fields. But sometimes you might send a JSON that has one of the fields is like an escaped piece of JSON, so it's like an escaped JSON string. And we didn't really have the ability to parse that, but then we added this feature so you could like go in and sort of like recursively parse escaped JSON strings <laughs> from you know nested documents. And uh, it's just not something we ever log. We don't ever log nested escaped JSON <laughs> in our log files because we know that doesn't work well with our product and we use our own product to use <laughs> like to monitor our own logging. But other customers had this use case, and like, especially if you're integrating with other products, you know, you might not have a lot of choice. Like, some monitoring product is gonna just wrap your data in a JSON event and escape your your data, and it's really just a wrapper that needs to be taken off when you send it to Logly and to for analysis. That reminded me of something we've talked about internally about how like the different ways as a company that we're lazy and not lazy, and like, you were saying something that made me think of it, which is like. That if customers are used to getting something without doing much work, then they're going to want it to be that way, as opposed to like, well, we internally have our processes set up and we've put in the extra effort to get it this way, and so like, why would anyone do this the lazy way? Or that is pretty interesting. Like one of the things you said was that like you had never considered this feature needed because you had like built your systems with all of the limitations of your product already in mind. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty interesting how you can become almost like. Recursively down your own assumptions based on that. You're like, oh, of course, this is, we're making the right assumptions look like everybody's using it because we built it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. And as a developer, when I'm writing my log statements, I make sure to write them in a certain way because I know they're eventually going to end up in Logly. And there are certain kinds of formats that just end up being more flexible when they're indexed. Like I happen to know if I format it this way, it's going to make my life a little bit easier when I mm-hmm. try to make a dashboard later on. So that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing when you're dog fooding is is you know so much about the best way to use your product, <laughs> and you could even tell your customer, hey, if you change your data to be a little bit different, then you can use our product better. But that's not really something you should be asking your customers. <laughs> You know, ideally, you can just use data that's in any any old kind of format, and it's going to work just fine. That is a really good point. That's what I was trying to come up with before. So, like, <laughs> because we know how our product works so well, we'll do other things in a way that makes them work well in our product. Like, so for us, that's health checks, mm. and we'll write code with verbose health checks because our application will read those verbose health checks and do good things with them. But our customers don't necessarily do that, and they don't necessarily want to spend the extra time to make that happen. And so, if we assume that other people are willing to do that, 
we're doing something wrong. And that's kind of a problem we've run into. Is like we thought with access to these cool health tracking patterns, people would just be willing to do the extra steps to make those happen, but that was not correct. Yeah, that's that's kind of tough because it's hard to just break out of that assumption or or try to make yourself think like a customer or mm-hmm. you know, you almost have to go in and sort of screw up your log data for us, like make it as unstructured as possible or or just Yeah, or it's like that beginner's mind kind of thing that people talk about where you have yeah. to Assume that you don't know everything about your own product and how things need to be set up for it, and mm-hmm. yeah, and then mm-hmm. it's closer to the customer's mindset. Yeah, crazy idea. If a new hire comes on, the first thing you say, okay, use our product, like use our product for something. Like that's your first assignment, mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell us what you thought. What did you run into? What happened? Um, and they have that fresh mind. They don't know how the product works. They maybe could give some interesting insight. Yeah, that would be a great practice for any dev tools company. I think just every mm-hmm. new person have them onboard, have them try things out, mm-hmm. give mm-hmm. us feedback. So yeah, got to get them while they're still fresh. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. It seems like you yeah. almost have to like keep hiring to make that work. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's it is almost like you have to go out of the building for that, right? Like even mm-hmm. so, at Heroku it was interesting. We had you know, a whole bunch of teams, and some of them were sort of like kernel space teams. Some of them were user space teams, as we thought of them. Like built the platform or used the platform, and even then, like when you have people that aren't even like involved in the day to day building of the thing, like you still come to know all the shortcuts and like develop mm-hmm. all of these like habits and like know how to design for the platform, and like you're basically useless as a beginner's mind. Yeah. And once you know that stuff, you can't unknow it. Yeah. Once you know mm-hmm. it. yeah, and that's more like a better way to say it. It's not putting yourself in the mind of your customer. It's somehow trying to erase your own memory so that you're not corrupted by all that deep knowledge of the product. There's even sort of like a, another side to this coin, right? So like we've talked a little bit about you know, how you know using our own products sort of affects our own product feedback loop cycle, but there's also sort of like another side of this, which is like operationally, right? Like mm-hmm. Definitely. I imagine at Logly, if you're logging things to Logly, then when Logly goes down, if you lose your logs, it's a terrible thing, yeah. right? So you have to have like some sort of way <laughs> yeah. to, to to think about that. And I, I think as DevTools companies, it's sort of like across the board, like. We use our own products, mm-hmm. but like if our own products are having problems, we don't want to like compound that with this crazy recursive thing. Yeah, and that's a really interesting problem. At Logly, we have that. And we also have the issue of having an infinite loop. Where back in the early days, our QA, we were logging from our QA environment to our production environment, and our production environment was logging to our QA environment, and we had this like sort of infinite loop that happened where our QA environment like took down our production environment because <laughs> it was logging so much and production was logging and QA was logging. So yeah, we uh, I think you can't have a, a cycle like that. It's a bit dangerous, not just for the infinite blow-up problem, but because if one goes down, you have to use the other one. What I've seen a lot of companies do is they'll have their QA environment, they have their production environment, and then they have their monitoring environments, like their third environment. Mm. And that third environment is pristine. Like it is the last one to get new code. It's the last one to get upgraded if you're upgrading a third party service. It's just, you know, you need that environment to be up. Yeah. And that is an interesting characteristic, I think, of most DevTools companies as well, is that we're all very concerned with availability. These are not typical consumer apps where if it goes down for a few hours, no one's really going to care that much. These are yeah business tools. They're tools that people are depending on, and and you know at least in our cases, like they're monitoring tools as well. So they ought to not be going down. Yeah, 
when we were talking about consumer companies and how they dog food, like some seem pretty natural. Yeah, yeah, Netflix. (laughs) Sometimes I think like, wow, Netflix is such a great product. Oh, I bet it's because all the people at Netflix use Netflix. If they see something they don't like, it's like the next day they come in, hey guys, let's fix this. Yeah, and I know a lot of companies like um, Airbnb, I know, gives all their employees credits to use the service. I think Uber does the same for all their employees. It's like a way, yeah, it's a, it's like a built-in mechanism for user testing. Yeah, I used to work at LinkedIn, and there was a big company-wide push to get everybody at LinkedIn to use LinkedIn more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it really is just the best way, I think, to build a, an awesome product. But it does have drawbacks, which is what we've been discussing a bit. Yeah, and there's something I, I don't know how to unpack it just yet, but like the consumer companies because people can use those products in their everyday lives like, you know, Airbnb or Netflix or whatever, like I'm just going to use that anyway at home. Like I don't need my company to tell me to do it. Mm. But LinkedIn or even Opsi, like something I'm using at work, there's a different kind of dog fooding that's happening there. Yeah, cuz you kind of make yourself maybe you're not making yourself using it, but you might you might be trying to find ways to use it that maybe it isn't extremely well suited for, mm-hmm. um, just so that you can use it, just so you can have more time on the product. And that's kind of an interesting problem. Sometimes we we really try to force ourselves to use Logly for things that it just doesn't do so well at this point, and maybe it never will do well because it's just not really well suited for that problem or whatever, but we still force ourselves to do it, which can kind of, depending on the problem, maybe it holds you back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just using, not, you're not using the best tool for for the problem at hand. Yeah, and that's popped up in some customer conversations for us when we start talking about competitors. Like if they're using some other product to do something, you know, we probably have gone through some extra effort to make it work, make our product work in some ways, but customers who have used something else know that it's way easier on X and so they like they're still comparing us to that and unless mm-hmm. we're good about doing all that research we might be missing that. Sure, yeah. And a customer is just going to try your product for a little bit. It's like, "Oh, it's really good at this one thing. This other thing is not so good. I'm going to mm-hmm. immediately move on to the next product um, or, you know, incorporate another product into my stack to to make up for where your product doesn't handle so well." Whereas with dog fooding, maybe you're going to try to like make your product do all the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll be more tolerant of its faults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the idea is if you if it doesn't do one thing so well, the best way to fix that is to realize it doesn't do it well, and then actually build out the functionality for that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a discipline thing if you have the discipline to just kind of stick through it and put up with the flaws until you've gone in and fixed them. And the more it hurts you, the more painful it is. Like the faster you're probably going to fix it. It's a great way to go in and relieve the worst pain points as quickly as possible. If you just make yourself mm-hmm. make yourself do it. So before we talked about a case where you know a customer came to you with an example of something that you didn't necessarily want but turned out great. The inverse also seems like a really interesting one where I think a lot of us like there's a huge reward in. Knowing that we created something that other people love, especially because it's developers, like people in our own yeah. community. And like the greatest feeling in all this is like making something that nobody necessarily asked for, but all of a sudden, like everyone wants. Yeah. Have you, uh, is there, has there been a moment like that for Logly? I mean, I guess it's hard to say, like, yeah, we built this thing, nobody wanted us to build it, but we did it anyways, and it was great. <laughs> I mean, there are features that were a lot more successful and just a lot more of a big deal than we thought they were going to be. <laughs> 
And when I joined, the first thing that I did there was add the ability for customers to custom parse their data. They can build their own regular expressions and just decide themselves how their data is going to be parsed. And yeah, as soon as that feature came out, it's like instantly everyone is using it. Like everyone is using it for a lot of their data. And it, we were expecting it to be a, a pretty big deal, but it just almost no customer uses Logly without that feature. <laughs> it's funny because we don't use that feature that much because we know what Logly parses out of the box and we format our data that way. <laughs> I guess that's not exactly a, an example of the situation where we built something that... It is. Okay. It's, I think it's a good example of why we do what we do. Like There's this built-in reward when you know you made something that other people want. Yeah. And other devs want. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of, is it more rewarding because you didn't want it yourself, but your customers really want it? Well, I know on our product roadmap, we have these big ideas, like a couple of them in particular, that we haven't built as of yet, because no one's come directly to us and said, hey, I really want this. And we feel really strongly that if we, you know, and these are big undertakings, but we, you know, we don't have a lot of data to back this up, and we couldn't because these things that they're just things that don't exist in the world right now. And so, like, mm. there's no way to go out and find data to back up our decision. Like, we can't necessarily find the proof points for it. But at some point, we just have to take a leap of faith and try it. And I think you know, we all love, or at least I love, the idea that like we would do something like that, and it would turn out really well. Yeah, I guess I want to say at Logly, it's more cut and dry. It's like we're solving these problems that people have been having ever since they had. Servers like mm-hmm. uh, like we we it's a pretty clearly defined problem I think um, and yeah I guess it doesn't really happen that often where we think of some crazy idea that <laughs> might just work if we just tried it um, mm-hmm. yeah most of it's like things we know would be so awesome but it just uh, you know they take us time or or they're just difficult problems to solve so we we slowly churn through it and we finally come out with the solution and and it's mm-hmm. as great as we thought it was and it's as great as our customers thought it was going to be and and we kind of touched on this backup tool like the uh, the systems that we put in place to protect from our own products failing i don't know if you guys if you both want to expand on that some more yeah it's not so much like uh we have a backup tool in case our own product fails i think in the end it's like we concede that our product maybe isn't the best fit for this use case so we end up Using some some third party service, um, and there's a huge, huge ecosystem out there of monitoring tools, and just a lot of companies out there that are focusing on system health and making sure APIs are up and running. And so, yeah, we we do use a a handful of other services. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe having a backup tool would kind of make sense, but then it's like everybody has to know how to use multiple tools that do the same thing. And you have to pay for multiple tools, like so. It's uh, not a huge priority. Um, you know, our backup tools we go SSH to the box and do grep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's what we replace. Like that's what Logly replaces. Um, so if push really comes to shove, we can always just do that. Do you have anything like that in place, David? Like backup processes, tools, like something. What you know? What have you done in case Convox breaks? So, so it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, Convox is more a piece of software than a service. Like we do have 
you know one sort of small service, but the the majority of it is just software that we give you to install and run somewhere. So there's not a like one central thing to to break that is like a convex self-hosted thing. Mm. Yeah, and being built on open source, then yeah, you're relying on your customers kind of bringing that into their tool set, and there isn't really a whole lot that it can do to break after that. Right. So yeah, it's more like isolated environments. So it's not really a like a global shared thing that could go down. But, I mean, it, it is definitely interesting. I mean, I remember from. I think the first iteration of the, the Heroku status site, I don't remember what hosting provider it used, but it, it wasn't Heroku. Actually, the first one was Heroku, and we figured out how, how bad of an idea that was pretty quickly. <laughs> a couple of engineers got pretty overzealous with like using Heroku itself, and it turned out we couldn't actually start the whole platform back up from zero because it relied on itself too much. Yeah, it's definitely something you, that you have to think about, and it's almost like, in a way, you want to have like be using one of your competitor's tools just as like the very last case yeah, all of my stuff is down, but I still need to, to figure out why. It could be kind of interesting to use a competitor's tool. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not something that we do much at Logly, but kind of an interesting option that you have as a DevOps company. Yeah, I mean, if only for product research to see where you're falling behind or where you're lagging behind a customer, a competitor. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think the the backup tools. I mean, you don't have even if you're not using your own product, a company doesn't really have multiple tools that do the same thing in case one fails. Like mm-hmm. you could. I mean we have backups for our chat service because chat services go down a lot. Yeah, we had this uh certification process recently you become like a technology partner with Amazon and part of that process was an audit of our technology. And like as a tech provider for Amazon is and also a company that's hosted on Amazon, like part of their audit is actually looking at how we store Logs and customer data, and making sure that they're in, you know, like you were saying before, an isolated environment. And it's actually part of the review process. And I guess they've seen this enough times now where like technology providers have issues with this exact problem that they made it part of their certification process. Like the problem of where they store their logs mm-hmm. going down and not being able to recover. Yeah, like putting logs in a different environment and they want to make sure that you actually have that stuff isolated from the rest of the product. So if it breaks, mm-hmm. you, you don't lose your data. And yeah, that's, that is true. You know, we talked about the forgiveness that we have for our own mistakes using our product, and like, you know, we're a small company. Some of our customers are big companies. Like, what are the other ways that our customers might be different from us, or the other assumptions that we make about our own product that mm-hmm. other people might not make? Yeah, the first thing I can think of is just we kind of touched on it already, but assuming certain things because you know how the product is implemented. I can't really speak to this from any personal experience, but like the platform strategy of like we're going to provide APIs and a and a platform for our customers to extend our product. And then we as the big company if we like what they're doing, we're either going to acquire that company and make it part of our core product or we'll just steal the idea. And I've we've seen both of those, which is an interesting uh, yeah, we could talk about this a little bit. Like, this is another interesting thing that happens with DevTools companies. Like, we rely on platforms, and I've seen this go well and and very badly. Where a company is building something that extends a platform, that company gets acquired, the core product becomes better, or the yeah. inverse. That's happened with a couple of our competitors, actually. Um, like people building these logging solutions, and then they get acquired, and a lot of times they might. Focus on some specific 
use case like security log monitoring, you know, monitoring your logs, looking for security breaches. And that's kind of interesting to just take something that a small company does and then maybe they eat it up and, and turn it into something that they want as a big company <laughs> or something that they themselves need um, mm-hmm. and then build that product. So it's like they acquire a company so that they can use that company to dog food their problems but then <laughs> improve that company's product so that other people can eventually use that product. Yeah, like the virtuous cycle of dev tools companies or maybe not always virtuous. I wonder, David, like, you talk a lot about open source, and it's not something I've been involved in a lot. But you know, dog fooding and open source are very closely related topics. Like how well we all depend on open source tools now. All of us, like the you know the entire internet is built on open source, and there's like that you know the story of the left pad guy you know taking the ball and going home, and uh, a bunch of websites broke because of it, and like there's. Um, like as a maker of an open source tool, you have a community that depends on you, and so if you go if you go and break stuff, uh, maybe that's not really dog fooding. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we we certainly use Convox to host a lot of our own internal services, right? I mean, all of our own internal services. So, and, and we kind of you know share that with you know all of the people that are also using the same tool to deploy their own applications. It is sort of interesting in a way where I mean we can basically. We work a little bit more directly in collaboration with our customers to build out new things in Convox because you know they can actually submit code changes to our product. But but yeah, we definitely you know, use our own software to deploy you know, every day. So it's it's something very near and dear to us is you know making sure that this thing remains functional for our own uses. I feel like it sort of relates to that conversation we had with Michael at the Node Foundation about the technical committee for Node and how. They, as a group, kind of have some ownership of what gets into the core platform, but that the community can do whatever it wants. And if something good comes out of the community, it can be brought into core. So there's this element of like internalization, but also, you know, anything from outside that's good can be brought in. And there's this whole, yeah, this whole like flow to it in open source. I think as a DevOps company, you have such a unique opportunity to use your own product in. The same way that your customers do. It's like if you're a surgeon, you can't do surgery on yourself <laughs> to see how good of a surgeon you are. But uh, if you don't use your own product, then you're foregoing such an amazing opportunity to to learn and and see your self, see your company through the eyes of a customer. Yeah, I think the only thing is to just make sure you don't limit what you build just because you need it. Yeah, like you have a really great opportunity to use a tool that you've built to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And so few companies out there and so few people in their jobs get to have that sort of recursive relationship with their own work. Um, and that's such an interesting thing. Yeah, and at its best, it can change the way software gets made. Like telephony was really hard to do until Twilio came along. And so now lots and lots of apps do that. And so like, yeah, as new tools and frameworks come along, the nature of software development changes. 
I'm just thinking yeah. about all the things that have come along, like cloud computing, and like it totally changes the way we write code, and microservices changes the way we write code. All these different things, like these new patterns emerge, tools change, and like the industry conforms around them. Yeah, definitely. A new tool, like um, I don't know, Node.js coming out, it it just radically changed the way front end development works. Like it radically changed so much about web development. NPM, like if NPM weren't around, maybe people wouldn't be using a million different packages in <laughs> in their in their Node.js applications. Well, the thing that's kind of interesting to me, just been sitting here thinking about, is uh, like basically, you know, when you're when you're dogfooding your own products, you you do get to have sort of the experience of the features, and you do get some useful feedback from internal people. But in, in a way, it's almost tainted. Entirely because you, know, you get to use like the unlimited version of your product for free. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right? definitely. And, and it's almost like pricing is such an important part of this whole experience and how people choose tools and how they feel about them when they're using them and everything. Yeah, it's it's tough to like kind of how do you roll that into you know the experience of a, a Logly engineer who gets to use unlimited Logly for free and somebody else who has to you know pay for a small amount of it. Like it could be completely different things. Definitely, yeah. This that reminds me of, of uh, one of the most heated discussions I got in at work, and uh, we were talking about how we wanted to log in a certain way, and I was saying, no, if we send those logs to ourselves, we can't analyze them. Like we are gonna go over our our limit that our our like production logging account has. We break Logly when we do that, and. The person I was arguing with was like, "Oh, well, we can just go in into the configs and like change our own limits, and and everything will be fine." I'm like, "We can do that, but our customers can't do that. So we need to feel the pain that our customers feel. We can't just go in and make our product much better for only ourselves. Then we don't feel the pain that they feel, <laughs> and then it's not on our radar, and we don't complain about it to the product managers, and the product managers don't put it on the roadmap. So." Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Just because you can fix something for your own personal use case, you have to fix it in the way that fixes it for all of your customers as well. Don't do the fast, easy solution because you can. Yeah, you can't just hack it for your own needs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that other kind of point that you had, David, about the the mental calculus that we don't have to go through about like not just is this valuable, but is this valuable for the amount of money that we're paying? Like we just had a conversation internally about pricing, and it was really hard. And I think a big part of what makes it so challenging is exactly that—that that we don't have that same touch point of comparing the cost because we don't have to consider that for our own use of the product. Mm. Yeah, because it's just free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we sat down and figured out how much would we have to pay ourselves for mm-hmm. our own account, it might be a bit of an eye opener. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty huge. I think every product manager should figure out like if you're dog fooding, how how expensive is our internal account and use how much value are they getting out of it themselves? And uh maybe you might need to adjust your pricing if if you needed a humongous account to get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, or are we using like you were saying Liz about how are we using the product in ways that our customers might not because we don't have to worry about the limits of the product? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of times we might like if a customer might file a ticket to a customer service rep, the rep talks to us, we have to go in and maybe adjust something with their account. 
if it's like a really unique use case. If all we have to do is just go in ourselves and adjust it, that's so much easier. We might lose sight of how annoying it is for that customer to to get the same functionality and you might forget that, oh, it would be really nice to build an automated way for that customer to adjust their account in that way. Yeah, and definitely other another thing that we found talking to customers is that, it, is that if one complains, there are probably ten more that didn't say anything but are still seeing the problem. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, if a customer comes to you and wants something or has some piece of feedback, like that's so immensely valuable. And if you don't have the same pain point that they do, it might behoove you to really examine their use case. Are they using your product in a novel way that you could kind of advertise to other customers, or did they onboard incorrectly somehow? Like they made some false assumptions. If they did make some false assumptions, like why did they make those assumptions and compare them to your own assumptions about your own product and figure out where is the disconnect? What things are so explanatory to you, self explanatory to you, and, and totally confusing to your customers? And how many other customers does this one talking to you represent? Are they yeah. the silent majority? Like, you know, are there a lot more people out there with the same issue? Yeah, and uh, if if they're coming to talk to you and giving you feedback, they had to take a lot of time to do that. They could have just gone to your competitor and mm-hmm. say, you know, whatever, I'm not going to use this product. It doesn't have this thing I need. I think to backtrack back to the subject of of pain <laughs> when you're we were saying if if, if something feels Really easy for you because you have direct control over your own experience with your own product. You know, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is when you're using your own product, I feel like there should be some amount of pain. Like, if you're not, if, if, if you don't feel pain when you're using your own product, you're not stretching your product to the boundaries that it can be stretched to. You're not using the edge cases. You're not using, you're not f- figuring out new ways to use your product that maybe it's not super well suited for. And if you're not feeling that pain, you're not growing. Maybe you're not finding new ways and new paths you can go down. And I think yeah. that's, that's pretty huge. Like If you're dog fooding and you don't feel pain, you're not getting the most out of dog fooding. <laughs> yeah, and you're talking about like sort of the comfort zone that if you are totally comfortable with everything the product does and like you're never really stretching in any way, then you're not Exploring enough, you're not like looking for new yeah. opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you're not thinking about new ways your product can be used, mm. or you're not stretching it to the limit of its scalability. That's another thing. Our internal monitoring account is a really large account, actually. Um, <laughs> the environment we use to monitor our, our production environment is intentionally under resourced. Like it doesn't have quite enough resources for the amount of data that we send it and that's a really interesting thing that we impose on ourselves because we see the scalability where does it break in terms of scalability what hmm. services are running out of memory which ones are having gc issues and uh we see the breaking point of our own product in our own dog fooding cluster before it gets to customers and this is done intentionally so like you impose limits on it so that you will see scaling issues or yeah, I mean, I think it it sort of happened naturally. So we started sending more and more data, and it started to pull apart at the seams. And we were thinking, okay, we can just throw a bunch more hardware at it. 
But we learn a lot of interesting things too when it's sort of coming apart. Um, mm. You know, we we learn where is it going to break? Where do we need to be really concerned about our scalability? Yeah, especially around Elasticsearch, we use Elasticsearch pretty heavily, and uh, we've discovered a lot of our the the scalability limitations of Elasticsearch just through our monitoring environments. All right, thanks again to our guest Liz Bennett for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really interesting. And how can people get in touch with you online? You can find me on Twitter. It's ZZ Bennett. That's two N's and two T's. Or uh, LinkedIn, Elizabeth Bennett. There's a, probably a million Elizabeth Bennett's out there, but just search for Logly, too. All right. Thanks again for stopping by. We'll see you next time on Dumbing Code. That's about all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a DX topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at dmmc at heavybit.com or on Twitter at don'tmakemecode. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out the library. It's packed with amazing talks from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.